You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Del Matthews. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 2 to 7 and can be found on page 560 in the Bibles in your seats. So beginning at verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Well, I've decided I'll use that term, Doctor, when it's convenient. <laughs> this morning it's not convenient, I'm Del, and it's great to be with you this morning. Well, it's about 10 days to Christmas. You got it sorted? You ready? You got your decorations up yet? I've put mine up, but I'm really, really particular these days about what I put up in my place. I want it to be meaningful for me. Um, some quite some time ago, I lived in Indonesia, worked up in a village in the highlands area of West Papua. And the church there celebrated Christmas, and they had a Christmas tree in the church. But it was one Sunday morning, just prior to Christmas, that I heard a sermon where the preacher was telling the people that if they went out into their gardens to work while that Christmas tree was up in the church, God would strike them dead. Well, we went back and pulled down our tree immediately, and I haven't had one in my place since, um, for obvious reasons. There's a lot of decorations that yeah, kind of don't associate, I don't associate with the birth of Christ, and so I don't use them. But the one decoration that really does have a lot of meaning for me are the Christmas candles and Christmas lights, and that's kind of our theme for this morning. Well, another thing that helps me focus on Christmas are the carols. We've got carols tonight, of course, and we've been singing some beautiful carols. About this time last year, my brother and his partner had the family over, her family over, and someone said, let's go to carols, meaning carols in the park. Well, everyone thought that was a great idea except the nephew. He just did not want to go, could not be persuaded, and eventually he blurted out, and besides, I don't even know this person, Carol. Well, if you don't know Carol, you've come to the right place because we're going to have a look at the third verse of the Carol that we've been looking at over this this series, as Tim said. The ancient Carol 
O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And it's a carol that's based on themes of promise from the book of Isaiah. Today, day spring, dawn, um, the promise of light. Well, before I get into the word of God, let me pray. Father God, we are just so grateful that we can study your word in depth and freely and we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide my words now and guide our understanding this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, before I start, full disclosure, a few weeks ago we had come to the end of a series in my life group. We had one week to spare before our Christmas kind of breakups and we were thinking about, well, what are we going to do in that one week? We didn't have any other ideas, so I said, well, how about you guys help me prepare this sermon? So this morning, this sermon comes from you, comes to you from my life group. And thanks to them, I have a greater understanding of this passage. Well, let's first read, oh, I'm going to read to you the core, the verse that comes from the carol. O come, thou day spring, come and cheer our hearts by thine advent. Here disperse the gloomy clouds of night, and death's dark shadows put to flight. Well, a bit like the language of, of that verse, the language of the passage in Isaiah that Anne read to us is also poetry, a Hebrew poem. And I don't know about you, but I find poetry sometimes hard to understand. But it helps to understand the situation in Isaiah's time if we want to understand the meaning of this passage. The politics of the time were about as volatile and messy as they are today in the Middle East. The nation of Israel had been divided into two. There was the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom, usually known as Judah. They were at war with each other. The northern kingdom attacked the, the southern kingdom. We don't know exactly why and what was the cause of this civil war, but it was a real threat to the southern kingdom and also to the royal line of David. The royal family of David had been sitting on the throne of Judah. And God had promised that, that the royal line of David would be established forever. That promise was under threat. King Ahaz, Ahaz was the king of Judah at the time. But acting against the the advice of Isaiah and those around him, he turned his back on God and called on the king of Assyria to help him out in this civil war. Now, Assyria, of course, was only too happy to oblige, and they conquered the northern kingdom. Death was suddenly very close to the people of Judah, right on their border, right on their doorstep. With a king making all the wrong decisions on their behalf, you could be forgiven to think that the people of Judah felt darkness because of the political situation at the time. But that was not the main cause of their feeling of darkness. We have to go back to chapter 8, the end of chapter 8, to find out the real cause of their darkness. They had Ahaz had, had, um, had consulted witches and other people other than God to make his decisions and the people were turning away from God. Distressed and hungry, enraged and looking upward, they cursed their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only darkness and darkness and fearful gloom and they will be thrust into utter darkness. The people of Judah had abandoned 
God. They had turned away from God and looked to human wisdom for help, following the practices of their neighbours. Their broken relationship with God was the real cause of the sense of darkness. The consequences of turning your back on God was death. They lived in the shadow of death. Now, although the people of Judah had abandoned God, God was not about to abandon them. He comes to them with this amazing promise that we find in chapter 9. He promises light to replace darkness. But if we take a look at the language in this passage, you'd expect it to be in the future tense, grammatically, um, we're talking about the future, but it actually is in the past tense. It's happened. There's a great confidence that this is going to come about. It's dawned. It already has, like a day spring. The results are a complete turnaround from the conditions that the people were experiencing at the time. When it looked like their nation was to be about to be decimated and their borders were shrinking, God says the nation has been enlarged. When the harvest was severely reduced due to war, God says the people will rejoice at harvest. When they were oppressed by enemies and feeling like everything in life was under threat, God says the reverse is true and they will be victors enjoying the plunder of their enemies. When life was at its lowest and darkest, they would experience joy. When they had turned away from God and his wisdom, God says they will rejoice in his presence. So none of the promises resembled their present circumstances. Well, how is that going to come about? God reminds the people of Judah of a battle that happened several hundreds or a few hundred years before this time. It was a battle of Midian. And it's well known in the history of Israel to be a battle that only God could win. You might know the story. It's a story of Gideon. Gideon reluctantly took on the leadership of Israel at the time, a very ragtag army he had, and he was supposed to fight the massive army of the Midianites. The preparation for this war or this um, fight resembled one of those reality shows. You know, he started off with 32,000 men and episode by episode they got knocked down, so they ended up with about 300 men to fight this battle. Impossible. And on top of that, instead of arming them with you know, the usual weapons, he gave them a flaming torch and a trumpet. Um, hardly enough to inspire confidence in a great victory. They surrounded the Midianites at night, and then God sent the Midianites into a state of panic and confusion. They attacked each other and made it a lot easier for Gideon and his men to score the victory. God won that battle. So in Isaiah's time, that was a great reminder that God could deliver them from oppression, even when the odds were stacked against them. He could bring light in times of darkness. And when God enters a battle, it is truly the war to end all wars. They would no longer need their army uniforms. They could put those to better use and use them to burn for fuel for fires. So... In Isaiah's time, are we looking for a great hero like Gideon to bring all this about? They certainly weren't seeing any heroes in the government of Ahaz at the time. No, God promises a new form of government, but it was going to be not a hero, a baby that would bring. 
this new government, this new change. A new king born. The child would be a gift given by God. This was God's plan and he was going to bring it about. So the people of Judah could confidently look forward to change. But this promised leader would bring about a government they had never known before. They would finally see justice established. They'd have right relationship with God again, righteousness. Now this child was going to be going to be named. It had the names that we see describe his character and who he is. And these are the names that you would normally see or normally have associated with God. So the ruler would be divine, and yet, coming as a child, would be very human at the same time. This king would be unlike any they had seen before. Now his first name, Wonderful Counselor, is a little hard to translate from the Hebrew, but it has the sense of being a counselor or a planner whose wisdom is far above human wisdom. A welcome contrast to the poor decision-making of Ahaz. This child would be a mighty God, able to defeat their enemies. And yet, he, we see his benevolence and care for his people as father. He would bring a society of peace. In the very last verse of the passage that we read, just in case the people of Israel didn't get it, God, they are reminded that it is God and his zeal that will accomplish all of this. It's God who plans the future and it's God who brings it to pass. It is God who defeats enemies and will establish a kingdom of peace that's everlasting. It is God who keeps his promises. But the people of Judah didn't see the fulfilment of this promise in their lifetime. They were told it would come in the future. The child was not seen by them. The people of Judah at that, in the time of Isaiah had to take this on faith. They had to trust God that God would indeed keep his promise. So let's fast forward about 700 years. Israel again lived under a series of oppressors leading up to that time. Um, first it was the Persians, then the Greeks. And there were a lot of compromises made on behalf of the uh, people of Judah that eroded their faith. Finally came the, the Romans. There was no king on the throne of Judah that was from the royal family of David. Herod was appointed king by, of the Jews by the Romans, but he was not from the royal family of David. His was a re very repressive regime, and the people were taxed heavily to pay for his lifestyle and building programs. Again, times were dark. The hope of a Messiah who would rescue them was really strong. Some groups looked for political means and a Messiah who would bring a military victory, while others, like the Pharisees, thought that the Messiah would only come if they could follow the law of God fully. Yet not everyone had compromised their faith. Zechariah was a priest and the father of John the Baptist. He was moved one day by the Holy Spirit to utter the words when his son was born. And you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of their sins, 
because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. Sound familiar? Well, Zechariah wasn't directly quoting Isaiah, but he was certainly alluding to that promise way back in Isaiah 9. The promise was here for a saviour to restore our broken relationship with God and to bring light to those living in darkness, the the darkness of death that comes from abandoning God. The Lord refers to bringing about a state of peace the word um, that is promised way back in Isaiah's time. Once again we see that salvation is going to be a gift of God, given out of his mercy, not because of people could earn it by fulfilling the law of God. This promise was going to be like a rising sun, a new day, a day spring, come from heaven. It could only come from God. Now, Zechariah was, or um, this the book of Luke wasn't the only place that refers to light and refers to the passage back in Isaiah 9. We also see that Matthew quotes it. Now, Zechariah didn't quote it directly, but Matthew does. And Matthew claims that it relates to Jesus. Matthew says that this will be brought about by the repentance of the people and turning back to God, turning back to the God who had not abandoned them. He calls for us to do so too. John chapter 1 also confirms that Jesus is this light that dispels the darkness. But John chapter 1 also reminds us that not everyone living in darkness will recognise Jesus as light come to the world. It was Jesus, it was God, sorry, who planned the birth of Jesus long before the time of Isaiah. And the people of Judah caught a glimpse of that grand plan back in Isaiah. It's God who defeated the enemies of our enemies and his enemies through the death of Jesus on the cross. And it is God who will establish a kingdom of peace that's everlasting. It's God who keeps his promises. The people of Jesus' time saw the light, but it was kind of like seeing the sun just peep over the horizon. They still had to live in faith to see the full culmination or the full realisation of this promise of Isaiah. Jesus did not overthrow the Romans and establish a completely new government at that time. Yet the Christians still held on to hope and they were, they were promised that, again, in the very last book of the Bible, you will see the very last chapter of the Bible, they were promised again that there would be a complete new world come and that God that there would be no darkness because God would be the light. He would establish a new world order and reign forever. The promise would come to full realisation. Well, let's fast forward again about 2,000 years this time, to today. And we see in this world today a lot of darkness. We see leaders making very poor decisions on our behalf. We see nations oppressed and in seemingly endless cycle of war and terrorism. No one's burning their army clothes yet. Closer to home, our farmers are seeing, would love to see the harvest that was promised in Isaiah 9. Many in New South Wales would look forward to seeing clear skies again and light, not the smoky haze of bushfire smoke that fear brings. Life can be tough too on a personal level 
Many of us have been through different time periods of our life when it feels very dark, or you might be now. Um, times when there's been maybe accidents, health issues, a bereavement, um, unemployment, debt, loneliness. There's all sorts of things that can bring a sense of darkness on a personal level. But still, despite our world today, the real darkness still comes when we abandon God and turn our backs on a relationship with him. Just as in the times of Isaiah, in the dark times, the temptation for us and for me is to get angry with God and to turn to worldly wisdom instead. More than ever before, we're given a lot of um, suggestions of what wisdom that wisdom could be. And that comes both on a political level, so we protesters are looking for a new government in Chile and in, in um, Hong Kong and places like that. But on a personal level, there's all sorts of advice comes to us. Has the promise of Isaiah 9 really been fulfilled then? Was it really fulfilled in Christ? Baby was born. How has that changed the world? How has that changed things for you and me? What does it mean for us? Let's go back to the names that were given to that child back in Isaiah. First one, wonderful counsellor. God is the great planner and he's given us amazing access to his unfolding plan. We could see how it was fulfilled. We can see how it was fulfilled to date and it gives us confidence in the future. We can see the baby was born, so we have confidence that it will come to full realisation. We are told that we were told back in Isaiah that Jesus would come and bring a new order. The plan is underway. It's not yet finished. His second name, Mighty God, triumphant over his enemies, over death. It was Jesus dying on the cross who won complete victory over all that separates us from God, over death itself. We no longer need to live in the shadow of death. Everlasting Father. As Christians, we have the privilege of calling God Father. We are adopted as children of God, members of his family. We know the benefits of calling him Father. And finally, Prince of Peace. We can know complete peace in our relationship with God. Nothing can separate us from his love, as we sang a little bit earlier. So Isaiah 9 reminds us that God has a big cosmic plan that's transformational, both at a world level but at a personal level. It's underway, and we have glimpsed that. Isaiah 9 reminds us also that God will see his plan into action. No superhero, no government, no human intervention can bring it about. It will be something God does. Isaiah 9 also reminds us that we need to live in faith. We need to wait for Jesus' second coming when with, and the final culmination of his plan. We're going to sing the carol in a little while. And I want you to think about that as we sing the carol. But when you light your Christmas candles at home, when you see the Christmas lights, I want to encourage you to think about Jesus and what he's done for you and to think about what that means for you in your life today. And to remember, the plan is underway, it's well underway, and we look forward in faith to its final culmination when Jesus comes again. Let's pray.
Father God, we are so, so privileged to live when we do, to have had access to understand your plan and see it unfolding in Christ. We thank you so much for what Christ has done for us and that light has come to our lives. We commit, we confess, Lord, that there are times when we have abandoned you, we've turned away from you to our own wisdom and to the wisdom of the world. We are sorry for our sins, Lord, and we turn to you this Christmas, the only light in our lives, and pray that we might um, be be kept close to you through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek. If you'd like to support the work of this podcast and the broader work of St. John's, head to our info hub, stjohnsdc.info, and click the giving card.